Good morning, brothers and sisters. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn to the book of Psalms and chapter 90 is where we're going to be this morning. So go ahead and find your place there, Psalm 90. As Daniel mentioned earlier, we're continuing through this Psalms series and particularly talking about lament and what that looks like in the lives of believers to help us this morning. And just let me remind you as you're turning there, there's a couple resources available to you. Uh, maybe you uh, forget about or don't know about. If you need a Bible, there's a copy of God's Word in the seat pocket in front of you. That's our gift to you. Uh, you take that if you need that. Also, if you have mobile device, there's our TCBC app that you can follow along, the message notes if you like to do that kind of thing. And Also, I'd say this, especially on a day like today and what we're going to be talking about, every Sunday after our messages, there is something called a prayer room. There's a team of people there that's ready to pray with you, talk with you, answer any questions, help you as maybe God's doing something in your life. That's the case today. So right after our services, there'll be a prayer room at the top of the stairs uh, available to you. I encourage you to take advantage of some of those opportunities. All right. So Psalm chapter 90. Let me, uh, let me set up the psalm this way. Uh, if you are in your late 20s, uh, at least maybe your early 30s and beyond... Uh, you probably remember where you were. You probably remember exactly what you were doing when you heard word of what had happened. Uh, Jennifer and I were living out west at this point. We were living in Las Vegas, and we were out on the west coast, and it was early in the morning. It was, it was like 6 or 6.30 Pacific time, and I had I'd actually been out for a morning jog, and I just wanted to work that in so you'd think I was cool or something. Anyway, so... I was coming in from the jog, and I was walking across our lawn there in Las Vegas, getting ready to go in the door, and this guy I barely knew, he was a construction worker, we, we lived in a construction zone, he pulls up, he rolls down his window, he says, hey, hey man, you better go inside. He said, you better go inside and turn on the television, and the next line, I'll never forget what he said, I mean, it's just one of those moments, he said, New York City is under attack, and I'll never forget that. I walked in like many of you and I turned on the television and I saw some of those images that are just cemented in our memory. And you guys know, again, those of you that are old enough to remember, September 11, 2001 was one of those days that we'll never forget. And I say all that and I use that as an illustration so you can kind of set the context for what we're getting ready to read in Psalm 90. But September 11, 2001 was a day of great loss. It was a day of great sorrow. It was one of those days, by, by day's end and the days that followed, 2,996 people had lost their lives. Uh, we were face to face as a nation with death and grief and sorrow on a mass scale. Some of these things that look so strong and invincible and this, the center of economic power for our country, we saw it topple, if you will, in the World Trade Centers and the Pentagon, the place of our military strength was burning and under attack and plane crashes in Pennsylvania and all that went on that day. We were face to face with our frailty that day. And we were face to face with the reality of death and the sorrow of death and the pain of death. And if you remember, following that day for weeks and I'd say even months, there was lamenting going on in our country. Lamenting. There were a lot of people who were crying out to God from a place of fear and sorrow and doubt and worry and grief. There was lamenting going on. That kind of sets up the question of where we're headed this morning in Psalm 90 for us as the people of God that know the Lord Jesus Christ. 
how do we face, how do we respond when in our lives we come face to face with our own frailty, we come face to face with our own utter weakness, we come face to face with death or the loss of someone that we hold very dear. How do we respond? Listen, you may not experience something like 9-11 on that cataclysmic of a level, but if you are alive and breathing, you will go through seasons of frustration and loss and sorrow and pain. And that's why God in His great grace has given us the book of Psalms, 150 Psalms. One-third of them deal with lament and crying out to God from a place of sorrow and loss and grief to help us as the people of God. Because you know, grief and sorrow are, are common to all humanity. But as followers of Christ, because of the Spirit of God in us, we can respond differently. We can walk through those seasons differently because of Christ in us. Psalm 90 is a picture of a man named Moses. Now Moses wrote this psalm, it's the only psalm attributed to Moses, it's written by Moses, and most scholars tell us, as best we can tell, this psalm was written after a period of extreme loss. Psalm 90 was written after a period of extreme pain and frustration and hardship. Most scholars tell us that Moses probably wrote this psalm after a period of about 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness with the people of God. Now I'm not going to go back and tell you that whole Old Testament story, but we all are familiar with Moses, right? We all know who Moses is. Moses was sent by God into Egypt. He led out the people of Israel a million plus people of Israel. He leads them out of Egypt, leads them through the desert. God says, you're going to take them to the promised land, Canaan. You all know what happened. He leads this million of people to the promised land. They're right on the verge of the promised land. They can look over into it. They can smell the promised land. They send out 12 spies. They, they look over the land. They come back and give a report. Two of those spies, Joshua and Caleb, says it's going to be hard, but we, we better trust God. Let's go take the land. And ten of those spies say, listen, there's some big dudes there. <laughs> and they're big and tall and hairy and scary. And I know what God said, but he's not big enough to handle these difficulties in our lives. So we better run in fear rather than walk forward in faith. And at that point in the book of Numbers, here's what happens to that over a million people. They turned from the land of promise and they turned back and they wandered in the wilderness and the desert for 40 years. And Numbers chapter 14 verse 29 says, Every person 20 years and older died in the wilderness wandering around in this cycle for the next four decades. So you can do the math in your head if you'd like to. So at least a million people, and that, it was more than that, but at least a million people died off in a period of 40 years. You do some calculations in your head. Here's what you come to realize. Moses is writing this psalm from a place that he probably experienced and saw and grieved death every single day. Every day. And we read it and we say, well, yeah, it was, the, it was those Israelites. But you take it from the perspective of Moses, these were his friends. 
These were the people he had walked out of Egypt with. They had seen God do some incredible things. And as best we could tell, day after day after day after day, as they wander in the wilderness, they were faced with loss and sorrow and death and pain and hurt and frustration. And now what we have is this lament from Moses after 30 or 40 years of wrestling with God, lamenting with God. And here's what he learned through all of that. And it's extremely helpful for you and me as we look at Psalm chapter 90. Now Moses' lament here, it's, it's the outcome of this wrestling with God. Let me give you the big truth. This is going to kind of capture what we've looked at as Daniel's led us through the last couple of weeks. But when we talk about lament, let's remember this. Big truth is this, that God, a gospel-centered lament is God-honoring worship and soul-shaping dialogue from a place of grief and sorrow. And that's really easy to say. That's really easy to use that definition. What does that practically look like? We're going to see Moses worship, and his soul is going to be shaped. We get to see the fruit of that here in Psalm 90, and it's incredibly helpful to you and me this morning. All right? So let's begin verse 1. I'm going to read down some verses. We'll give you some big ideas as we go. And I think this is going to be really challenging for us this morning. So pick up with me verse 1, Psalm 90, the lament of Moses. Verse 1 says this, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Now, I'm going to stop several times through this, as you might imagine. But verses 1 and 2, he begins this psalm with a praise And it's interesting that the actual lament portion of this psalm is verse 3 through verse 11, but it's bookended. And at the beginning of the psalm, he begins with praise. And it seems to be the overflow of years and years and years of lamenting and what he's learned about God. Then he has the lament, and then he's going to come back to another season of prayer at the end of this psalm. So it's a prayer of Moses, the man of God. He says, Lord... You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now remember, Moses is writing this after watching an entire generation die off. He says there's something that surpasses this one generation. It's you. You have been our dwelling place, O God, throughout all the generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and to the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we're going to come back and look at those two verses in just a minute, but let's continue on. Verse 3. So now he gets into the lament portion. Now he gets into the portion where he's just being painfully honest about the situation. And you remember the context, how I described it earlier. So this will help you understand why Moses says what he says in verse 3. He says to God, remember, he's dialogue with God. He's crying out to God. These lament probably went on for four decades. Lord, you turn man back into dust. Practically speaking, Moses again had seen this happen day after day after day after day. You say, return, O children of men. Says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Or as a watch of the night. Moses is confronted here, and you've got to see this. Moses is lamenting a couple things here. One, he's lamenting the reality or the certainty of death. Statistics tell us one and one are going to die, right? One and one. 
Moses is confronted face to face with this reality because in our human experience, we can drift from that reality. And I'm not saying we walk around all the day and think, well, today could be my last day. I could die. And that's not the point. But it's, it's humbling to us to be reminded we're not going to live on this earth forever. Moses deals with this. He says, Lord, you turn man back into dust. He's confronted with the certainty of death. Then he says the frailty of death or the shortness of life. He says a thousand years in your sight is like yesterday when it passes or as a watch in the night. Lord, our lives are like a moment. Like a moment. And Maybe he's at the end of that 40-year season and all that he's seen and all he experiences and he looks back and he thinks, man, as hard as it was and painful it was, it's like a moment. The brevity, the brevity of our life in this world. He goes on, he says, verse 5, you have swept them away like a flood. And that's graphic language of Paul or Moses describing and saying, my years, over the last 40 years, I've seen men and women, just, it's almost like they've just been swept away. It's graphic language. As in the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. Toward evening, it fades and withers away. He says, it's like that flower. He says, here's life. It's like a metaphor. He says, it's, it's like that flower that comes up in the morning or that daffodil or dandelion. I don't know the difference. I'm not even sure what a daffodil is. That's just what came to my mind. Anyway, it's this flower that pops up in the morning. You go to work or whatever, and you come back home, and the thing's just blown away. It's gone. What's the point? It's transient. It's here now. It's gone tomorrow. And Moses, for 40 years, has been wrestling with these realities. Man, there is a certainty of death. There is a frailty of human life. Our days are like a, dr like a dream. They're so brief. And all of this... All of this is a picture of what it means to truly lament the way God calls us to lament. So here's big idea number one. Gospel-centered lament demands vulnerability and authentic dialogue. Moses has been through a very painful season of his life. But here's what you, he doesn't push it to the side and go, well, you know, don't worry, be happy, man. It's all good. He doesn't say that. But he continues to talk to God about it. He continues to be honest with the reality. And he continues to take it in dialogue to God. What can happen in seasons of hurt and loss and pain? Or we do the exact opposite and we withdraw in silence. And we say, I don't want to be the one who's always talking about it. And I'm just going to deal with it in my own little world. And you don't take it to God. And you don't bring in the community of believers. And the sorrow continues and continues and continues. No, no, no. Moses says, I'm going to dialogue with God about it. I'm going to be honest with God. God about it. Continues to talk. Psalm 144, verse 4 says, Man is like a mere breath, his days are like a passing shadow. Moses wrestles with these realities that he sees for decades and he continues to dialogue with God about it. And he doesn't stop there, he continues on. Look at verse 7. Now, verse 7 is going to be a transition. So we're watching the lament of Moses, we're watching it pan out, and he goes from just, 
describing the reality that he sees. God, here's the way it is, God. I don't like this. It, it stinks. I'm face to face with death and sorrow and loss. And then he's going to take it to the next level, verse 7. And he realizes, what's this? All that I've seen over these decades is not as it was intended to be. You see this in the heart of Moses overflowing because Moses has his theology right. Moses understands how things are. He understands why things are as they are in a fallen world. He understands it. So he says, verse 7, after, after being honest about all the pain and sorrow he's seen, look at verse 7. It begins with the word for. Why is it like this, Lord? And he continues on. He says, for we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. What does that mean? Moses has mused on the truth, and Moses has meditated on the truth, and he's meditated particularly on Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3 that Moses wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he understands the reason the world is broken, and the reason we face frustration, and the reason there's sorrow, and the reason there's death. It's not the way God intended it to be, but man rebelled, and man sinned, and man fell, and we live in a Genesis 3 fallen world. And Moses said, God in his grace and God in his wisdom, God has to be angry toward that sin because he loves us too much not to be. And his holy nature demands that he's angry towards sin. And if you understood the depths of sin and you watch the news and you know what sin does to the world, you got to be angry with sin as well. And we hate it. Hate it. And Moses wrestles with this truth here. He, he understands... Daniel mentioned this last week from Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul writes centuries later about this. And he says, For the creation where we live was subjected to frustration, to futility, not by its own choice, but by the will of him who subjected it, in the hope of the expectation of one day being set free. What does that mean? As a result of man's choosing to sin, God said, the soul that sins will die. Adam and Eve chose to sin, and it plummeted the world under the anger of a righteous God for our sin. We live in a fallen, broken world. You feel it. I feel it. And if you don't feel the fallenness of this world... Just turn on Fox News and sit there for about five hours. You'll be ready to scream. Or CNN, take your pick. If you don't believe we live in a frail, fallen world, you try to work on the plumbing under your kitchen sink by yourself and you'll find out how what a futile world we live in, right? I'll do you one better. You call the IRS and try to get a living person to help you with your taxes, and you'll know we live in a funeral. Anyway, moving on. You attempt by the Spirit of the living God in you to make disciples who make disciples and invest your life in the lives of others, and you know the messiness of sin in people's lives, and you'll know we live in a fallen world. And you walk very long, and you face 
frustration and loss and pain and the world that we live in doesn't really have a category or a box to fix it all or to understand it all. They don't really know how to deal with it, but you and I do, and Moses does, and he understands, listen, the reason the world is broken is because of the sin of mankind, and God had to subject this world we live in to brokenness. Every single part of creation has been affected and impacted by sin. And that groaning or that loss or that pain or that sorrow is to propel us to look to the day when the king will come back and make it all right. But not until then. But not until then. So Moses says we are consumed in your anger. That word consumed means we're we're spent. We're, We're fading away. We're dying There's a spiritual death when mankind sinned. We're born with a spiritual death toward God. But we also experience this physical death. It's the lot of all of humanity because of the curse of sin. He says we are dismayed there in verse 7. The word dismayed means we we see the world. We we, we feel the groaning. We feel the tension. We feel the fallness. The word dismayed is incredible. It means and we realize we have no resources whatsoever to deal with it on our own. We can't fix it. You're honest, you realize you can't fix it. The world we live in is coming up with all kinds of ideas of how to deal with the reality of death or the reality of loss. And Moses says, We realize we're dismayed, we don't have a way to fix it. I came across an article this week that I thought was interesting. There's a science called cryonics. Anybody ever heard of cryonics? Cryonics is the science of preserving a body after death, placing the body in antifreeze and freezing the body in hopes that future medicine might be able to bring the deceased back to life. It's a serious science. It says, when I die, put me on ice, and maybe generations to come, they'll figure out a cure for this thing called death, and then somebody will come in and turn the heat up and warm me up, and I'll, I, don't, I, I guess I'll get up, I don't know, and they'll have the answer, and I'll conquer death. There's a place in Arizona that houses 147 frozen bodies awaiting for the day that science overcomes death. And by the way, you can have your place there for the low, low price of $200,000 a person. Uh, Paid in advance, of course. Anyway, you'll get that later if you don't. Dead. Moses goes on, verse 8, he says, You have placed our iniquities before us, our secret sin in the light of your presence. What do you mean, Moses? He said, I understand theologically why the world is as it is. God had to pronounce this subjection to the world. We're subjected with futility. And verse 8 says, and he was absolutely just in doing it. He says, our sin is in his presence. He knows He sees my sin and your sin. He sees the sin of the world. And he says, I understand that the world is subjected to brokenness and futility. And God was perfectly just in doing it. Verse 9 says, for all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80. 70 is an average. Some may live to 80, he says. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. And you read that and you know why there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of quotes from Psalm 90 on greeting cards. There's just not a lot of them out there. 
Moses ends this and he says big idea number two. Let me give you this. Gospel-centered lament recognizes the brokenness of our lives and the world is because of sin. Understand the brokenness of the world. Does it make it any easier? We groan in it, but we understand from a truth perspective why it is as it is. And here's what I want you to see. Now hang with me. So up to this point, here's the lament we have from Moses. God, here's the way things are and it stinks. And then he goes a step further and he says, I even understand my Bible and I understand theologically because it's with, because of sin and, and the world is subjected to sin. And I understand that, but watch, Moses doesn't stop there. And many of us in our lamenting before God, we may learn this a little bit, but we may stop right there. Don't stop there. He keeps going. Look at verse 11. Hang with me. This is good. Moses continues with a concern, and his concern is not merely about the situation of sin and brokenness in the world. Verse 11, he says, Who understands, Lord? Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due your name? Now watch this. As a follower of the one true God, and you and I in this room, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, his concern is not merely for his own situation or how bad the situation may be. Watch this. Moses' lament is now. Nobody seems to connect the brokenness of the world and the frustrations of the world and connect it back to the next step of of making it worship to you, oh God. They don't understand how to make those connections. And Moses is concerned and Moses' lament here is this. Watch. Don't waste your grief. Hear that? He says, don't waste your sorrow. Don't waste the frustration merely by saying, Lord, this stinks. That's a good step. Lord, I understand it's a broken world. That's another step. But he says, don't stop there. Who understands and brings it to the place, the fear that is due your name? Lord, who can turn it back to appreciate who you are in the midst of this? Hang with me. See, I'm not quite making the connection with that yet, Pastor Mike. If you will, it's going to be liberating to you. Hang tight. Left to ourselves, every grief, every sorrow, every death will only lead us to vain, empty solutions like this freeze dead people or empty explanations like, well, it's all good when it's not good. Or it will lead us to self-centered, endless despair. But Moses goes on and says, No, Lord, I want, I want people to understand and make the connection between our grief and our sorrow and our brokenness. Watch this. And the greatness of who you are. So he says, verse 12. So. In conclusion, Moses is going to make this prayer. And the rest of the passage are these prayers to God. In verse 12, he says this, So, Lord, teach us, teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Moses says, Lord, my concern now is that we don't waste our sorrow. That our days of emptiness will not just be lost in mere lamenting. Lord, teach me to number my days. Number, he doesn't mean count them and say, well, I think I've got about a thousand left. And I've got to go make the most of them. That's not what that means. Count means let me see my days aright. 
in light of who you are and let every sorrow, let every loss, let every frustration, watch this, reorient me to who you are. See that? See, here's what happens. We, we tend to think like the old, I learned this poem when I was in college, so I thought I would impress you with this poem. It's called Invictus, if you've ever heard that. But the end of Invictus goes like this. It says, I'm the master of my fate, and I'm the captain of my soul. Anybody ever heard that? Yeah. That sounds really good, doesn't it? And that's where we all drift to in our lives. We drift to the place of independence. We drift to the place of self-reliance. Watch this. And we really believe we are the captain of our own soul. Watch this. Until we get the pathological report and the results are not good. And we realize we are not even the captain of our next breath. And Moses is saying, let the sorrows and the frustrations and the loss of this broken world bring us to a place of humility and brokenness and recognize we are not independent. We are not the captain of our own soul. You are God and we are not. Listen to me, anything in your life and my life, and I say this as one who experiences it just like you do, but any moment of frustration, any loss, any pain in this world that shakes our pride and causes us to lose grip of the things we hold too tightly that aren't going to last and causes us to run to the God of the universe who is forever, anything that causes you to do that is a blessing from God. And Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may present or gain from you a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach me what I am not. Lord, teach me who you are. And let every frustration and grief point me to you. Don't waste your sorrow. Don't waste your grief. Now Moses continues on, and this is big idea number three. Let me give you this. Okay, well, what does that look like in your life, Moses? What did 40 years in the wilderness faced with death and loss and pain, what did it teach you about God that you didn't understand or learn before? And it seems to be Moses answers that question with verse 1 and 2 of the psalm. Remember I said he seems to go back and put that on at the end. He bookends, he bookends his sorrow in Psalm 90 with who God is and what God is going to do. Because he has a high view of God after wandering in the wilderness and this gospel-centered lament. Moses, what did you learn about God? What did walking through that wilderness teach you that you didn't know before? Verse 1, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Look how verse 1 says, Lord. Circle that word. Why? Because Moses chooses here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't choose the word Yahweh, which is the regular covenant name for God of God's people. He chooses another word for Lord, and he chooses the word Adonai, which means, what's this, which means sovereign. So Moses, when everything around him was unraveling, when everything around him was collapsing, when the World Trade Centers were coming down and everything he tried to hold on to was shaking and he was faced with loss, here's what he come to find out and to believe at the core of his being, you are absolutely sovereign. 
See, God is good that he will walk us through whatever he needs to. And he is at work in your life and my life to shake those things that might cause us to believe that we're sovereign. (laughs) You and I walk with an illusion of control. An illusion of control. And Moses realizes here, no, 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 you are Lord. You are the sovereign. He goes on and he says, you, Lord, have been, this is such beautiful language, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. The word dwelling place means refuge. The word dwelling place means home. The word dwelling place means shelter. It means the place of security. It means the place I can run to when everything else is unraveling. And again, the buildings are falling and the people are dying and I have nothing left. You know what Moses says? Through all generations, you have not changed at all. And you are my place of security and my place of rest and my place of refuge. Side note. You see, here's what happens in our lives. God will lovingly introduce things into our lives that causes, watch, those things that we wrongly put our ultimate security and identity in, he will cause those things to begin to shake so that we will learn to put our security and our identity in the one who never changes. Illustration? Moses begins this psalm with this title, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. Moses wrote that. Moses could have said, the prayer of Moses, the leader of God's people. He could have said that, but he didn't. He could have said, I'm Moses, a prayer of Moses, the man who parted the Red Sea. He could have put his identity in something he had done. He could put his security in something that God had allowed him to be a part of that was changing. Or, watch this, Moses could have placed here, Moses, a prayer of Moses, The husband who lost his wife. Or the father of children who passed away. Because you do understand in the season of wandering in the wilderness, Moses lost his wife. And Moses lost his children. And that was something, watch this, this is huge for some of you in this room. You're here for this statement, ready? That was something that was true of Moses, but those realities of losing his family and losing those things dear to him, they were very true of him, but they did not define him. Did you hear that? He says, I'm Moses, the man of God. I belong to God. He is mine and I am his. My identity is found solely in the person of who God is and his love graciously set on me. And that will never change. Some of us need to wrestle with that. Moses here knows and experiences and walks with God in a way that he did not walk with God before he began the wandering and the season in the wilderness. 
Some of you are either headed into a season like that. Some of you are firmly in the middle of it. Some of you may be coming out of it. But my prayer for you is just like Moses. Do we understand? Lord, will you teach me to number those days that I present to you of heart of wisdom? And you will be able to say, Lord, you are my dwelling place. And that will not change. You are the one in control, not me. And end of verse 2, you are from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. When everything else passes away, God, you are my rock that lasts forever. Can you say that? See, this lament is to reorient us to who God is. That's what happened in the life of Moses. Final few verses and we'll be done. Look back at verse 13. So not only does gospel-centered lament reorient us to who God is, and that's what happened in the life of Moses, gospel-centered lamenting declares our dependence on God to act. <laughs> so the lament follows the trajectory here. He's been honest with God. He's cried out. He's, he's saturated it in truth. It's now brought him to a place of worship. And in verse 3, you, bring back, you come back to the place where he says, God, will you do something? God, I see the world as it is. I see the situation as it is. God, will you do something? End of the passage is some prayers of Moses. Look at these with me quickly and we'll wrap up. Verse 13. Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? God, are you ever going to do something? God, I've been wandering around this wilderness for almost 40 years now. Are you ever going to do something? It's a prayer. He says, and be sorry for your servants. The word sorry means compassion. Listen, he's saying, God, will there ever be a day that you will demonstrate compassion toward your people? Verse 14, oh, satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. He says, God, in the midst of a season, in the midst of a broken world, I need you to satisfy my soul with your loving kindness, your faithful love your covenant love whatever your translation says whatever that word is there you circle that because that is a thread pulled from genesis all the way through revelation it is a word that describes the character of god his faithfulness when we're not faithful his covenant loyalty to us when we are not loyalty meaning god is a whole lot more committed to you than you are to him And he's a whole lot more committed to this relationship he's begun with you than you are to him. And Moses says, Lord, will you just, when everything seems to unravel, can you daily satisfy me with something that doesn't change your covenant mercy and faithfulness, your grace? It's a prayer. Verse 15, Lord, would you make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us? God, is there ever going to be a day that you're going to make us glad? And the years that we've seen evil, verse 16, will you let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children, verse 16. This is awesome. He says, Lord, is there ever going to be a day in the future generations that you're going to make your grace known? Will the coming generations ever see your faithfulness and see your majesty? Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm or make permanent the work of our hands. Yes, make permanent the work of our hands. Lord, is there going to be a day that our work is simply not futile? Is there ever going to be a day that this world is going to be set right and what we do matters for eternity? Lord, are you ever going to make things right? 
and you get to the end of Psalm 90 and maybe you close your Bible and you close in prayer and you go, I really don't even know what all that meant. Or maybe you close it and you say this, did God answer those prayers? Will God answer those prayers? In other words, Moses prayed, God, would you show me, would you show us evidence every morning of your faithfulness? Did God answer that prayer? If you know your Bible, you know that literally in the moment when the children of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness, every morning except the Sabbath, every morning they would go outside and on the ground was something called manna that had fallen from heaven as a, a symbol of God's faithfulness to satisfy their physical need every morning. And you say, well, that's great. What's the point of that? They just needed something to eat, right? Well, yeah, they needed something to eat, but it was pointing to something greater. It was pointing to something else that was going to fall from heaven to satisfy an even greater need. So how do you know that? Was the prayer of Moses answered? It sure was. When Jesus Christ showed, on the scene, showed up on the scene, John chapter 6, Jesus said this, Your fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness as it was written. He gave them food out of heaven to eat. But Jesus said to them, But you need to know something better than manna is here. I am the bread of life. And it was a picture of the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ, that was to come many generations later. And you say, well, gosh, Pastor Mike, if, if I got up every morning and I went outside and there were Pop-Tarts laying all over my yard, I'd get pretty excited too. That'd be awesome. Listen to me. Jesus said that you today, you have something on a daily basis that's better than divine Pop-Tarts and it's better than manna. And Jesus said, listen, you, they liked the manna and it gave them life. But he said, listen, morning by morning, man shall not live by bread alone, divine Pop-Tarts, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, you have the living word of God to open up every morning and be reminded of the faithfulness of God as the anchor that you build your life on. And every grief and every sorrow and every loss and every pain should drive you to the pages of this book to bury yourself as God makes himself known to you as your dwelling place in all generations, as your sovereign one who lasts forever and ever and ever. God, did he ever show compassion to his people who were under wrath because of sin. 1400 years after Moses prayed this prayer, Paul writes this, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, he shows compassion on us. Christ died for us. Did God answer this prayer? Yes, in the person of Jesus Christ who came and took the wrath, took the sin upon himself to extend compassion to his people. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Moses prayed, Lord, is there ever going to be a day that we're not going to know the futility and the brokenness of this world? Is there ever going to be a day that we're not confronted with death on a daily basis? Is there ever going to be a day that everything we do seems to be futile and empty? Is there ever going to be a day you're going to make it right? Revelation chapter 21 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and were no longer any sea. And I heard a loud voice from the one of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. We, listen, we cry now. 
and we wipe our tears now, but they just come back again. There is a day coming when King Jesus will return, and he promises he's going to wipe them all away forever. And there will no longer be any death. Imagine a world without death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. Did God answer the prayer of Moses? You better believe it. In the Son of God, King Jesus, who came and went into the grave and conquered death. And now we can say, O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? The sting of death has been defeated in the person of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Don't waste your grief. Team can come on up and just begin to play. I want you to listen. We're going we're gonna to finish with a response time. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your sorrow. But like Moses, let it reorient you to who God is. And let it reorient you to what God has said and cling to Him as for His grace as the only answer and the only solution. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your grief. Won't you bow your head for just a minute as our team begins to play? Final thought. Heads bowed for just a moment. Verse 11 said, Who understands? Is there anyone who understands the fullness of your anger and the fullness of your fury against sin? In other words, Moses is saying, is there anybody that's ever walked the earth that really understands the fullness of God's just anger toward sin? And the answer is no, except one. Just one. Scripture teaches us that Jesus Christ, when He came, He absorbed and took on Himself the full fury and the full right judgments against your sin and my sin. He has taken my sin upon Himself and your sin upon Himself to give us righteousness and life and peace and future and hope. If you do not know Him this morning, He is your Savior, your Lord, your King. Call out to Him in faith right there where you're seated child of God, if you do know him, don't waste your sorrow. Don't waste the frustration. Don't waste the pain. Teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Let me grow in my understanding of who you are. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for those in this room that are hurting or they're headed toward hurting or they're just facing daily frustrations like we all face. God, teach us to number our days and gain from you a heart of wisdom. Lord, I plead for that person in this room who's wrestling right now with trying to figure out who you are and why you died. And Lord, would you open their blind eyes and let him see the glory of King Jesus as our Savior and place faith in him. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand?